0: Thank you. Welcome back to Thinking Out Loud. As always, I am your host, Dave Hallahan, and we continue our countdown of the top five most listened to episodes. We are on episode number three this week and excited to get there. But before we do, I just want to let you know that as you are listening to this, the patrons of Thinking Out Loud are listening to all of my thoughts about COVID and the mask mandates and uh, vaccine mandates or having to show proof of vaccine. I also tied in how I think postmodern thinking has led to our reactions to all of this and how, especially as Christians, we need to get back to holding our positions in a posture that is Christ-like. So, patrons are listening to that and you can become a patron today for as little as $2 a month by going to patreon.com slash thinkingoutloudpod. Now, today's episode is my conversation with friend Kevin Trivitz and you're in for a treat. Uh, We talk about missional community, how just a different way of doing church than uh, the typical way, I guess, traditional way. It is a great conversation. You will also hear a couple of my favorite stories about college that are up front. Uh, As I said in the original outro of this podcast, I clearly wanted to get them off my chest because Kevin isn't even intimately involved in the stories. We just went to college together and I wanted to tell my podcast audience these stories. And so this was my excuse to do that. So enjoy those stories. Enjoy my conversation with Kevin. I will warn you that the audio was not great. Kevin and I recorded in a big room and there are times where it is clear that we recorded in a big room. I was like, do I even put this podcast out a second time if the audio isn't great? And then I realized clearly there are enough people who don't care about the audio quality not being up to standards, because it's the third most listened to episode ever in Thinking Out Loud history. So, enjoy my conversation with Kevin Trivets. Do you remember General Davies? Did you ever go with us to, to General Davies? I never went with them. Oh my gosh. Never. Wow. So... It was a wing night you guys used to go yeah, to. Yeah, right? I think it was Monday night's and i don't know who cuz i was going to ask you like if you remember who discovered this place because it, what a gold mine like to find but i think it was monday nights or whatever night of the week it was they had wing night and when we first started going it was all you could eat wings for free you had to purchase you had to buy what you had to buy a beer um, and then when you bought your beer they gave you they gave you a ticket that you would hand to the guy who like guarded the wing zone or whatever so like for two bucks you get a two dollar Coors Light and then you can eat like whatever all the wings that you could eat it's like a college kid's dream like it's beautiful and eventually we were mad for like a week and then we realized this is we're still ripping them off is there's a five dollar cover charge and then you had to buy a beer and then you got so like for seven dollars though you could have all of the wings that you wanted Uh, and it was just it was beautiful I actually, I told Alex when... I told him that I was going to meet with you. I was like, oh, I should get Kevin to come up here and we should go to General Davies for a wing night and like record live from there. No, but
1: I never, I never went and I
0: have no idea why because it sounds perfect. Right? Yeah, it was a beautiful thing. It was a beautiful thing. Do you remember Dirty Thursday?
1: Dirty Thursday. So was this the day that you guys chose a prank
0: that you were going to do? Uh huh. Is that? That's the day. Do you remember the prank?
1: Dirty Thursday. I believe you took the toilet seats off, <laughs> off the toilets and was it just our
0: door? It was Justin Stillman. Uh, so we, in our dorm, we stayed up till like four in the morning and we, we took all the toilet seats out, uh, including our own cause duh, like you don't want to implicate yourself in the crime. And, uh, I think we left, uh, Brent, remember Brent, our, the RA. So we left his toilet. We left his toilet, uh, mostly because we didn't want to get caught in his room. You know, uh, we knew no one would believe it was him, but we weren't trying to implicate him. We just didn't want to be in- his room at four o'clock in the morning. So we stole all the toilet seats. Someone, by God's providence, the attic access was in our wing, which was perfect. So we hid all the toilet seats up there. And uh, obviously we woke up the next morning and everyone was livid. They were angry. Uh, what was uh, Wilkie's roommate, Jeremy? Um, I don't remember his last name, but you do remember Jeremy? Uh, I, re- I can still hear his voice. And he was like, this is so stupid. I have to walk all the way to the dining hall to take a crap. And, like, that made our day. And we had a reputation, and so everyone knew it was us. Like, they knew it was us from the jump. But we, we earned that reputation, and so we convinced everyone it wasn't us. And we convinced them it was Wing 2, the other dorm, that we kind of had, like, throughout the year, like, we had a rivalry – with them. So we convinced them it was wing two. We got Brent, our RA, to, because his, like, key card got into all the dorms. So we got him to let us into wing two, and we stole all their shower heads. I don't remember this. Yeah, we stole, we went in, he, like, he let us in, and he might have even stood guard. I don't, I don't remember, but, uh, so we, like, we went into the rooms that were unlocked. And, like, if someone was there, we would just be like, oh, hey, what's going on? Like, we were looking to say if you wanted to do blah, blah, blah. But if nobody was there, we would steal their shower head. And then we hid the shower heads around campus. Then we created a, uh, a <laughs> Gmail account. I don't remember what it was called, but we made a Gmail account and we emailed everyone whose shower head we stole and we gave them clues as to where to find it.
1: I have never heard the story.
0: Yeah. That that happened. That was the second part of this prank. And uh, what was the dude? His, his name was Dave. Um, he worked on security and Wing 2. That's like all I've got. Dark hair.
1: There's a lot of security, guys. I don't, I don't yeah. Know so
0: anyway, about. he uh, he was a bit of a dud, too. Uh, he probably doesn't listen to this podcast. <laughs> um, and uh, he, I remember him because, again, we had this reputation. He just came up to us. He just came up to our door. And was like, guys, where's my shower head? And like we were like, what are you talking about? I don't know what you mean. And eventually I think he like showed us the email or whatever. And we're like, oh, hmm. I wonder what that could mean. And we like tried to help him like decipher it without like and eventually, like he did, I mean he knew it was us. And like eventually he was like, I don't know that he actually cried, but like he was like close to tears. He's like, guys, I just need to shower. And I have I I have to go to work soon. And like, we're like, dude, here's your shower head. Like leave us alone. But yeah, that was that was our that was Dirty Thursday. Who came
1: up with like this bandana against the bathrooms? Like who who is the mastermind behind
0: us? I don't know. Like the fact that you, who were not a part of the inner workings, and I are the only ones who are here. I want to say it was me. <laughs> <laughs> like it was, it was my idea from top to bottom. But no, I don't. I don't remember. I know, like because we actually we put out flyers for Dirty Thursday. Mm-hmm. Like, weeks in advance. But then we did it the week before or the week after. Like, we had a a specific date that was on these flyers that were like, watch out for Dirty Thursday. But then the the Thursday before or the Thursday after, I don't remember which one, is when we actually did the prank. So, like, we, like, set people up and, I don't know. we, We thought we were smart or whatever. But I don't know. I mean, you spent some nights, like, up in the Dirty 30 wing. Like, we would just be up late and just think of the dumbest ideas and this was one of those ideas <laughs> along with like brian and alex like chopping down a tree and bringing it into their dorm room for christmas <laughs> one, of one, one, of one, one of my favorites i also i like to tell the story too of were you ever part of like our bb gun uh, whatever we did because wilkie was and he was one of the ras and i'm surprised that like he let this happen but In our dorm, we had a someone had a BB gun. Probably Brian. He's from West Virginia, so he had a BB gun, and he would stand like at the door entrance to our wing, and we would take turns standing at the opposite end of the wings. And it was a pump gun, and so we would roll a dice to see how many pumps of the gun we would get, and then someone would shoot you uh, in the butt, or at least is where we were trying to shoot each other uh, with the BB gun. And uh, they were like they were plastic; they weren't metal BBs. And uh, I am proud to say that my butt broke a BB, that the BB hit me, and we are like, where did it go? And it was in two parts on the ground. So buns of steel, <laughs> that's me. Uh, but we, we are not here simply to <laughs> recall our college days, but we're here to talk about the church uh, and to—you uh, kind of have a unique uh, history with the church, or, or at least— Uh, a unique trajectory on where you've landed with church. I want to dig more into that. Uh, But before we get to where you are now, like, did you grow up in the church? What kind of church did you grow up in? What was your experience with the church kind of in your younger years?
1: Yeah, no, it's kind of interesting. Um, So I was raised as a young boy. I was actually raised in a Mennonite church. I don't know if I ever told you that. They weren't super traditional um, uh, but traditional enough, um, I was a pretty young boy. and then when when I got into my teenage years, um, I met a youth pastor that was a pastor at a Wesleyan church. Yeah. Um, and that man, um, God, God's favor was just all over me for that. Um, he discipled me, and um, as you know, as a youth pastor, not not everybody gets the same attention. yeah,, um, and it's not intentional. It's not that we mean to focus on others and not some people, but, I I happened to be um, I happened to be a person that he wanted to pursue, and he saw a lot in me that um, that I didn't see in myself. He believed that God had uh, a life of ministry ahead of me, mm. um, and and that was that was an amazing experience. Got to do life with him, and got to learn a lot about what the life of a pastor kind of looks like. Then uh, we go to PBU, meet guys like Dirty Thirties, um, <laughs> and. Um, would you say, I mean, I would say a very Baptist
0: feel at PBU. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They're definitely more like, I I feel like maybe, and this is kind of hearsay, but from what I understand more so now, I feel like when we went, they're like, institutionally they were probably more Baptist feel and reformed. Well, like Charles Ryrie, like, yeah, was yeah. like a big, big yeah. deal there. Um uh, but I felt like our staff, when you and I were there, was pretty diverse. I'm obviously, all Christian and <laughs> and even evangelical. But you know, between like um, Ola, uh, John Olaf, and Eddie Field, and Tom Allen, and uh, Taves and Schnicker, like yeah, like there was there was a diversity of opinion and thought there. Uh, yeah, but certainly a more like Baptist feel to yeah, it.
1: Yeah, and a lot of, of when I think of that time and I think Baptist, it's it's probably because my um, girlfriend at the time, wife now, Anna, we were at a Baptist church while we were there. Um, but um, I did feel that PVU did represent a pretty good diversity of thought. Um, but so here I am. I was raised Mennonite. Then I was in a Wesleyan tradition. And now I'm in a more Baptist Reformed setting um, and ministry. I thought I was going to be a youth pastor for a long, long time. I really didn't know what that was going to look like or if I was supposed to move on from that someday. I really wasn't sure. Um, But um, we graduated. um, We graduated from PBU and then I wanted to continue my seminary degree out at Denver seminary. Mm. And so Anna and I moved out there. Um
0: was well, that right after college? It was right
1: after okay. yeah. Yeah. We moved. I think it was two weeks after we graduated. Okay. We moved out there. Got had to go into the Rocky Mountains. Yeah. Um gosh, I miss it. Uh,
0: <laughs> gorgeous, gorgeous
1: country. God's country out there. Um
0: I almost brought Breckenridge vanilla, vanilla porter. porter. Yes. Because I was like, oh maybe This will this will bring Kevin back to the mountains a little bit.
1: Goodness, yes, yes. the beer is fantastic out there, and Anna would've been jealous. (laughs) All-time favorites. Um, But and we did uh, we did youth ministry out there in a Baptist church there as well. So yeah, a little bit a little bit of diversity. Yeah, where I came from.
0: And then, so while you were out there uh, in Denver, you said you had worked at you did youth ministry at a Baptist church. But then, uh, tell me if I'm wrong. But I feel like then you guys. That's kind of where your course changed and you guys started to see uh, church differently and has kind of led you to, and some people listening may be familiar with like the term missional community or whatever, but that's where you were introduced to that. Why don't tell us a little bit about, well, I guess what a mission, when people say missional community uh, with any term, you know, people probably have different definitions or opinions of, of what that means. So what does that mean to you and how were you introduced to that? idea.
1: So I was doing bivocational ministry out there. I was working for Habitat for Humanity while also working with the youth ministry there at the church. And my wife was working at Starbucks. And um, one day, she comes home from work and she had the best coworkers, the best boss imaginable. I mean, they were just the funnest group of people. I loved them. Um, I, you know, had to deal with getting free lattes all the time. It was pretty <laughs> difficult experience but um no she comes home and tells me babe i really really love these people hmm. um and they do a lot of cool stuff and i think we should be involved more in fact some of uh some of the guys there they were brothers they were actually in a band um and they were just getting started and they're doing pretty well now um and we we eventually started to go to like some of their concerts and things like that so short shortest version that i can give you here is Anna comes home, she tells me she wants to get to know these people, and we said, Yeah, why don't we do that? Well, then we started looking at our schedule, and it was almost every night of the week we were doing something at the church. Yeah. And so we really had no margin in our lives to right. do anything like this, and something felt off about it. Yeah. Um, we're too busy to even have our next door neighbors over for a bite to eat at, you know, at dinner time. Yeah. Um, so what we started to do was we actually started to step back from some of our duties. Um, I say duties, things that we were volunteering for. Right. Obviously I was paid to do certain things right. and had to had to do that, but we started to actually um, reorient our schedule in a way that we could be around these people. I had never heard of the missional church at this point. I had never heard of this missional theology or this idea. I didn't know what a missional community was. These people were our friends and we were getting, getting to know them and we were, Doing life with them, yeah. The more we started diving into their lives, um, the more I started to get to share my affections for Jesus with them. And uh, like I said, they're to, to this day um, they're great friends. We keep up with them, but that was a big shift for us because we were always at the church. And especially when you work at the church, you need to be there to keep things going and keep doing the ministry that you're doing. So that was a big change. What ended up happening um, happening to us was, and in fact, do you put like notes on your podcast. Yep. Um, I might send you a link. I'll okay. send you a link for this. Um, at one of our staff meetings, there was a video that was played, um, from Soma church. It, it's on, you can find it on YouTube. It's, uh, I think it's titled something like what is missional community and I'm watching it. And it's, the, it's this group of Christians that are mobilizing themselves and they're living, um, with are the, living, doing life together with their neighbors, calling others to, be, to, to believe in Jesus. They're doing a lot of um, outward service stuff um, for the community, and I'll, I'm watching it, and I'm realizing this is what we're doing. And Dave, to be honest with you, I didn't know church was allowed to look
0: like this. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: Like I, we legitimately, I mean, there was one, there was one group. Um, it's my, it was my favorite thing that we did. But there was a group that I was a part of. We called it Tuesday Night Whiskey, and we're hanging out. It's just a group of people, and we're that, our game of choice was Yahtzee, and so we're <laughs> playing Yahtzee, and we're hanging out, and um, I remember specific of uh, some specific occasions where, you know, God was just using me to really speak some truth and some peace to these people and connect with them in ways that I never was never able to do. But I never viewed that as a mission field, right? I don't know if that's my own ignorance or if that's just because I never lived life like this. I just never saw church done in this way. yeah. But Soma, they were doing church in this way. And so our eyes were all of a sudden opened. And we just couldn't believe it. Um, and we started to think about what would it look like if we could possibly integrate some of these relationships into our church life. And quite honestly, the cultures were just so vastly different. There was no reason that some of these people would ever come to our church. And it's not because they would hate it. It's not because they would despise what we were saying. It just wasn't something that they would get involved in. Right. Anna and I kind of asked us the you know asked ourselves the question: Is this their fault? Or is it our fault? Mm. And so what we just started to slowly do is we started to adopt some of the principles that we were learning from that group and from that video as we were doing more research. And we were just trying to dive into their world yeah, and hopefully get to share the love of Jesus with them.
0: How were those relationships that you made with starting with your coworkers and then other people that you met in the community, how are they different from the relationships that you had with people that were a part of your church? Yeah, good question. They...
1: Well, for one, this group of people specifically, they were just some of the funnest people you'll ever meet. Yeah. Simple. They they <laughs> were they were a unique group of people. I've never I've never seen a team that was quite like them. They they just had a, a lot of interesting dynamics with them. One of the things that I have found though, um, with um with churches when you bring people together we're all supposed to believe the same thing, and sometimes it's not that you fabricate these friendships. I don't want to say that because I, I love my church, I love them, and if you're listening, people, I love you, and I'm not fabricating any relationships with you. But but they're not always natural relationships that you have. Yeah. Well, these this, these relationships they grew naturally. Right. Um, there were common interests, and we realized that we could be Christians. And be in any setting with them and feel confident in our faith, but also confident in our friendship
0: and our relationship to them. So yeah. I think I think they just grew more naturally, yeah. to be honest. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. And I can see how that is. I certainly know, like growing up in the church, now working for a church, that there are plenty of people who I see on Sunday, and that's the only time I see them. That's the only time we interact. Right. And again, I don't my affections toward them are not fake but they're also not super deep. You know, like we don't connect much outside of church or outside of that Sunday meeting, whereas friends who are both Christian and non-Christian, who I'm friends with through natural circumstances, like those affections are deeper and right. and our, our lives run deeper together than some of the people even in my own, my own church. All right, so you're out in Denver and you're starting this. Did you guys, did you leave that church while you were in Denver and like, start one of these missional communities or was this kind of something you were doing while working for that church? Uh, We
1: did leave um, and we left with the intention that we were going to start some of these communities and plant this church. Um, And in a lot of ways, it was, it was just a failure. Um, God was shutting doors that we didn't expect. Colorado is pretty expensive to live in. Mm. Uh, We kept getting pregnant and
0: (laughs) a lot of things just weren't. You know, they figured out what caused that.
1: Yeah, I did. I did
0: find that. Out. <laughs> okay. I did find that. Out.
1: But no, we the, the Lord just kept shutting the doors there, and, and it was a really interesting community. Um, and what we were trying to get started, we did. We just didn't have the body of people that saw the vision. Yeah. Um, there was a lot of good things happening in that community. Um, but what we were interested in doing, it just wasn't being done there. And um, we learned the hard way: you're not supposed to do this by yourself. Yeah, yeah. We, we weren't created to do things solo. You know, God called a family. He didn't call just specific people. He yeah. called people to be a family, to do it together.
0: You you attempted that. It didn't really work out. You moved back to Delaware, right? And you started working with the church that you had grown up going to, right? Yeah, yeah. So I'm not asking this question to be funny or to be snarky, but like the only way I can think to phrase it is what did it feel like to fail, right? Because you had mm. left this church thinking, missional community is the way to go and we're going to start this that didn't work out then you leave the state that you had moved to and had felt called to start these missional communities to come back to where you had grown up and go back to the church that you started working at which was not a missional community it was a traditional wesleyan church right so you kind of you leave where you were you kind of if, if I want to continue to paint like this dark picture, you retreat, you know, back home to where it's safe. Right. Like what was, what was that emotional ride like?
1: Yeah, it was, it was pretty devastating. Um, it was pretty devastating because the people that um, even the people that did believe in what we were doing and, you know, we actually had some people, some friends move out to join us to do that thing. Mm. I felt that I failed everybody. Um, and quite honestly started to wonder if I had either, um, misread the Lord mm, and yeah. calling that he may or may not have on my life, um, started to wonder if I should ever even be a pastor. What it did cause me on, on a positive sense, if we could start to bring a little light into the story. <laughs> oh
0: no, no, let's camp out here for a while.
1: <laughs> um, what it did cause me to do is it caused me to step back and start to start to just look at the whole story of why did things unfold the way that they yeah. Um, and started, I started to ask bigger questions of well, maybe, maybe, I, maybe I didn't assess the situation right. Maybe I was, believe it or not, a little short-sighted and a little arrogant thinking that I was <laughs> going to save the world through this new model. We cracked the code and we found <laughs> yeah. what it is. So, no, it was it was a very, very hard process um, coming to grips with that failure, though.
0: Yeah. And now, so then you worked at, at the church that you had grown up going to for a while. And then you did start this. We don't have to get into, like what that was like or why you ended up leaving there. Um, but then you did leave to start these missional communities here in Delaware. Right. Um, what is, cause you're kind of still, how new is this missional community? Couple years? Well,
1: so right now we have three missional communities and um, yeah, we're, we're working on our, our, our third year.
0: Okay. So, I mean, this, that's still pretty young. So yeah. I won't ask you, what was it like? I'll ask you, what is it like to, to be doing that again in a different setting what is different this time what seems to be working what challenges are still ahead
1: yeah no absolutely um, missional communities have been great um, they've been difficult um, but it's been it's been a fun process to dive into with people the big difference that i would say of what we are dealing with right now and how it's different from our experience in colorado is primarily that we have a body of people that are committed to this lifestyle um, we have a we have a group of people that have said they believe in this and they want to be they want to be a part of what we're doing. I mean, let, let me take a step back here and just explain to you how we define missional community. Yeah, yeah, that's a good um, idea. Missional. The word missional it has become quite a buzzword right now. Um, it's it's become a the the hot new thing that a lot of churches want to move towards. And sometimes it's it's like any other word. You get to a point where you're like, what does what is the definition of this thing? I yeah, think. we're
0: kind of there with like evangelical.
1: Exactly, exactly If you say you're an evangelical What does that mean? What camp are you in? Um, And quite honestly, with that word in particular We don't have to go into this today But there are political implications with that as well Um,
0: So there's there's a lot of facets
1: to this The way that we define a missional community Is it's a group of believers Come together and are committed To learning to follow Jesus In every aspect of their lives What that looks like though um, because it's a nice thing to say. Right. Um, what it looks like is we're not just a Bible study. We do study the Bible, but we are trying to learn practically how to live that out in the places that we already are at, mm. where God already has us. Which that's with our families. Um, that's in our places of work. That's the places where we learn, where we're going to school or what have you. God has already placed you in this mm. in this place and time, and and there's there's a conviction that. I have that I'm trying to always remind our people of this. I, the pastor, am not an expert in your circle of of life Mm, and your friends. Um, I remember with my youth pastor and my pastors growing up, I used to always think if I could just bring my friends (laughs) and they could finally hear the gospel be proclaimed by this man who seems to be able to explain these things very well um, then maybe they would believe. And missional theology, I mean, you look at it, our God is a sending God. Um, he sends the son, he sends the spirit, they send the church, um, go therefore make disciples of all nations. This is, this is deeply rooted into the fabric and the characteristic of who our God is. He's a missionary God. And so we take that mission seriously and we try to learn how to be missionaries. Um, Um, in fact, right now my missional community, uh, we're going through the book of James and my wife and I are sitting there talking and I, we just said, Hey, James is great. We love James. You know, I I love, I I did seminary. I love the Bible. (laughs) We are going to continue to love and preach the Bible, but I don't want to study James unless we're going to find ways to take care of the widows and the orphans as well. Um, we want to live this out practically and, um, so what we, so what we do in our mission communities, just like Anna and I did back in Colorado, sitting in our apartment, we started walking through our schedule. We started to say, do we really have to do this? Could we open that up to be a part of, um, this thing that our friends are doing? Could we have our neighbors over on this night. We try to do that with our people. Um, uh, we look at our calendars, we challenge one another. We, we try to talk about the gospel and how do we share the good news and, how do we share the good news in a way that doesn't feel like a weird script, but right. we're actually seeing the good news lived out in aspects of our lives. Yeah. Um, so that that's just a little bit of a picture of what our missional communities do look like. But again, the way that it's going right now, um, we we have a culture of multiplication, at least we're trying to. And so we started a couple years ago, um, and now we're already at three. We're hoping by the end of the year, we're going to have either four or five.
0: Now, what do these look like? Missional communities are not the same, quite the same as churches. It's not like a one-to-one, like when you say you have three, that's how many people? That what are those missional communities doing? What do their gatherings look like? Um, help us. We're yeah, lost. No, d- good question
1: <laughs> there. And in fact, it's funny you say they're, they're distinct from a church because this is a conversation we we're kind of going back and forth on. Um so the way that our the way that our church system works is we have a corporate gathering on Saturday nights where we come together and worship. That's what that's going to look very similar to what a typical. This
0: is your missional community or this is all three? This is all three.
1: Okay. All three. We have a corporate gathering. Uh, we all come together and we worship together. This is going to look typically like any traditional church that you're a part of. You guys, your church, you meet on Sunday mornings. Correct. Okay. That's what that's what it'll look like. We come together and we kind of view that a lot more designated to the believer and it's a lot more of I don't want to say a training session, but we we really focus on um, dealing with issues in the hearts of the believers and trying to reconcile that with what the gospel says. Um, But during the week, what we do is our, our missional communities are meeting. Uh, we try to we try to stick to these rhythms, um, and we we're kind of good at it accidentally. Um, I don't want to make it sound like we've we're some mad scientists and we've figured out a formula. No, we we've kind of just landed on this, and it's everything that we do is borrowed. Nothing is original that we came up with. Um, we call it a two one one rhythm. So two weeks out of the month, we like to get together. We like to study scripture. Uh, we like to try to try to really dive in and apply it to our lives and be challenged with the Word of God. Then one time a week uh, or one time a month, rather, we'd like to do a service project. Um, right now, what my my particular missional community is doing is we're actually going and visiting a nursing home. Okay. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of, of widows. There's a lot of the elderly folks in there that don't have family members to come to visit them yeah. ever yeah.
0: Um,
1: And if they do, it's it's on a more rare occasion. Um, so we like to try to put our faith into action by visiting them. And then, um, the last one, uh, last, so there's two, one, one, uh, two weeks of studying the one week of serving. And then the last one is partying. Um, we love to party and <laughs> I think we're pretty good at it. Yeah. Uh, for the most part, I think we're pretty good at it. Um, I really think that last one's pretty important. Um, our culture loves to celebrate mm-hmm. and, um, I don't know who better to celebrate than the people of God that have the hope in the resurrection of Jesus. And so um, that was that was a practice that uh, my wife and I were really challenged with out in Colorado when we were getting to know these people. We realized, man, they love to celebrate life uh, together. Yeah, yeah.
0: And why why isn't the church good at this? Shouldn't the church be leading the charge in that? Oh, my like, word, yes. Wh- what, who has more reason to celebrate than... Those who worship the resurrected King, absolutely. Like I just, I think of Jesus. Go figure. Like he, he was a partier, right? Like that was the the problem with him. That he, this is this friend of sinners, this drunkard. Like he had this stereotype because that's who he was with. That's who he hung out with. People who liked to party, people who'd like to have fun and to eat and to, you know, just to. Jesus made the best wine at the wedding. Yes, like the best. The best. And I don't think the best meant it tasted most like grapes. I think it meant it probably had the highest <laughs> alcohol per volume. Like that it was For sure. the, it was the best wine. And um and yeah, we are so our I don't know, our like Puritan culture or whatever. Like we're so afraid of that. And I think I actually have this book that you should probably read, but you said before we started recording that you need you need to like g- Take a break from reading after doing uh your masters, Is that, yeah, at, yeah, at, masters. at uh at Cairn. Um, after getting your masters but uh it's called the gospel comes with a house key uh and it's about like practicing uh, know, radical ordinary hospitality or whatever and it's so good so good but she just talks about in it how jesus he dined with sinners but he didn't sin with sinners yeah and how the church needs to get back to that, that we can fellowship with sinners without sinning with sinners. Part of that is celebrating, celebrating whatever. Yeah, absolutely.
1: <laughs> and, and there's one, there's one thing I want to highlight. So friend of sinners is my favorite title of Jesus. I have I've often said, I, I, if there's anything that I can be remembered for, I would love to be called friend of sinners yeah. at my funeral. Hopefully that funeral is far off. But, <laughs> so something that, something that I want to highlight here though, because I do think that this is really important. Um, we hear the title friend of sinners. Who is it that gives Jesus that label? It's the religious. Right, right. It's, it's, not, it's not the sinners that are looking at him and saying, oh, he's a friend of sinners. No, they're not saying that. And one of the things that, that, that's been really challenging to me for that reason is that I have come to realize that I am often motivated by what I do publicly mm. with, with how I'm viewed by the church. And I think that that has actually hindered a lot of really great missional action for a lot of churches because they're afraid of how it's going to look right. according to the other Christians. Yes, yeah.
0: yeah. I, in that book that I that I referenced, and this is now like the twentieth podcast that I've referenced this book, but um, she talks about how one of the things that churches, kind of church culture, has hedged on is befriending sinners because our friendship or our love might be confused with approval, that we approve of their sin. And she just says, how dumb, she doesn't use that word, but that's why I'm not allowed to write books. How dumb is that, that we think that, because it's so natural to see that that's not true, right? So you have a wife and three kids, right? Mm -hmm. You love them. Yes. Do you approve of everything they do? Well, no,
1: not everything.
0: Yeah. So like, do you tell them
1: that?
0: Yeah. Do you tell them that all the time? When you kiss your kids goodnight, do you say, hey, I love you, but I just want to know, here are the things you did today that I don't approve of. Right? That's not the key part of your relationship. As father, as husband, there is room to correct and room to guide and to lead. But you don't lead with, I don't approve of you, but I love you anyway. Right. And yet that's the stance the church has taken so often, is that before we say I love you, I want you to know I don't approve of you, but I love you anyway. Like what? Like I? How am I supposed to hear I love you after I've been told you don't approve of me?
1: There was, There's a quote I love from Deborah Hirsch. Um, I was listening to a podcast of her, and um, Alan Hirsch is kind of like the godfather of missional activity in this world. He's an amazing, amazing guy. Lots of great resources there on um, they actually gotten to meet alan he's a he's a wonderful man but his wife made the comment um jesus had such great impact because of his presence with people and presence does not equal permission
0: right right
1: and that really opened up my eyes to start to realize i can be with these people and yes i may not agree with everything that they're doing in their lives but I don't agree with everything that Christians are doing in their lives, and that's okay. We can learn, we can learn what the gospel looks like together, and we can simply enjoy enjoy each other's presence and have a relationship through that.
0: Yeah. Um, so b- before we get like way off the rails, I uh, kind of to bring it back to this missional community idea. So you guys are are smaller groups of people than your typical churches, right? You guys would never grow to a hundred people right would you split before that like individual missional communities
1: oh yeah the individual missional communities for sure in fact the largest the largest missional community we had it got up to about 40 people and they were meeting in our home and so my wife is looking at me like (laughs) everybody needs to leave (laughs) um but um but no like right right now um i'd say the average missional community size is about 12 to 15.
0: okay um, so, 12 to 15 people. You have this two-two-one model where you, twice a month, you are meeting to study God's word. Once a month, you're doing a service project, and once a month, you're partying. And every Saturday night is all of the missional communities in this network are getting together yeah. for for what our most of the listeners would understand to be a church service. Yeah. It, it's more traditional yeah. church. I would encourage anyone who's listening that this is a new idea to dig into that some more. But for, for those like myself who are working for a church, who don't feel particularly called to leave that church, but there's something about this idea of missional community, missional theology that resonates, what are some practical steps that the average Christian who is unaware of a missional community around them is not equipped or even called to start one, what are some ways that they can start living, it, living missionally?
1: Yeah, there is a great book that unpacks this that I always recommend to people uh, by Michael Frost called "Surprise the World. And he breaks down some just some habits of highly missional people. In fact, I think that's the, that's the actual title of it. Um, but it's, it's habits like choosing three people to bless a week, one of whom is not a part of your church. Mm. Um, eating with people uh, three times a week. One of whom is not a part of your church and finding just different principles like that. One, one of the biggest things though, I, that I really keep coming back to is people think they don't have time. They don't have time yeah. to yeah. engage those that are outside of the church because look, life is busy. Um, I'm bivocational vocational in this church planning thing. So I have 40, 50, sometimes 60 hours of my week that is designated to trying to make money for my family. <laughs> right. Um, and then I'm trying to help pastor this church and I'm trying to trying to lead a very specific group of people in my own missional community. And I'm trying to also just take care of myself. We run out of time. Um, the bottom line is, will you make the time to do this? Right. And do you have to cut some things out? Um, yeah. That is that is by far the first thing that I usually tell people is look at your calendar. When yeah. do you even have time and where do you need to create that margin? Yeah. Uh, but that book is a great resource that helps people actually dissect some of this missional um, practical theology and really build some good habits. Yeah. Can you say the title of that book again so I can put it in the
0: show notes? Yeah, yeah. It's um, Surprise the World by Michael Frost. Okay. And another book that I think you actually suggested to me was The Art of Neighboring by uh, Dave Runyon and Jay Pathak. Yeah. Right? Uh, And that – it is fantastic. Such a good book. And I'm actually – so next month, the month of June – which may or may not be the next month whenever people listen to this. But uh, in in June, our church is doing, we take a break from our normal like Wednesday night Bible studies. And we do what we call workshop Wednesdays where elders kind of get like first shot at it. But we open it up to anyone in the church who they can teach a class, four-week class on whatever they want. And they submit it to the elders and then it's approved or not approved. I don't know that we've ever had one not approved, but I'm doing one on the art of neighboring in that book. And I'm, I'm pumped for it and kind of revisiting that, reading the book, the gospel comes with a house key has really challenged me again to like, I live in a neighborhood. Not everybody does, but I live in a neighborhood. And the, the point, the thesis of the art of neighboring is what if when Jesus said, the second greatest commandment, which is like the first, which is equal to the first, is to love your neighbor as yourself. He meant it. And he meant it literally. literally. Right? Like we, at at the time, when he told the story of the Good Samaritan, it challenged the kind of the xenophobia of the jews of the day that like the samaritans are evil and they're bad and it was easy to love a fellow jew because you're in the brotherhood you're the people of god but to love your your neighbor meant to love even your enemy and i think today two thousand years later we've taken that story and we're like to love my enemy means to pray for isis These, these people that i'll never have to interact with and that is part of loving your neighbor but we ignore the person who literally lives 12 feet from us, you know? So that has just been a challenge for me and not to like toot my own horn because there are so many more steps I wish I were taking. But just the other day, uh, our our youngest daughter has kind of given been giving us a run for our money and uh, she wasn't sleeping one night. And so I just took her for a walk and I – accidentally left my phone inside normally i like throw my headphones in or i'll push the stroller with one hand and scroll twitter with the other or whatever and uh, i'm taking her for a walk and i don't have my phone i'm like what am i supposed to do now and i just started praying for my neighbors like i just felt god say you're about to teach a class on the art of neighboring which of your neighbors do you actually love and i said god you're a jerk. Why are you bringing that? Why are you bringing that up right now? I'm angry that my daughter's not asleep. Uh, and I just started praying for my neighbors and there were plenty of houses where I was like, Lord, I have no idea what's going on, but I pray that you invade that home. And then there were some where just through observation, I'm like, Lord, I pray that you would bring peace and stability to that house. Lord, I pray that this single woman, you would bring a community to surround her so that she knows she's not going through this alone. Uh, This house, Lord, I pray that you would break down the walls of fear that seem to be there and give me opportunity to introduce myself to them and to start a relationship with them. And it's just like, isn't that what we're supposed to be as the people of God? And that's this idea of missional community, right? Like I work for a church of we're, we're close to like 300, 400 people right now. There was a moment where I felt like, is God calling me to leave? this church and to start a missional community to go back and work in the restaurants and start a missional community. Yeah. And I, I, I thought about that and I prayed about that seriously for a while. And I felt God say like, slow down. You don't have to start from zero. You can start from 300. Like this, this thing that stirs in you, pass that on to the 300 people that are in your church every Sunday yeah. and, and have them start their own, missional communities. And they can come every Sunday morning, but during the week are they living missionally? But also during the week, am I living missionally? Right. Yeah. And like, is my role as pastor keeping me from loving my neighbors? Because if if it is, I need to quit yesterday. Right? Like the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and to be a pastor. Yeah. No, to love <laughs> your neighbor, right? So if I can't love my neighbor because of my job, then Even though my job is a good one, as a pastor, like no, like that's not what this is about. And so I just have this heart, even though I'm not a part of the missional community uh, per se. I just have this heart for for what that represents and for this missional theology. And would love to see churches take that on. That we, and I, and I think a few close to a month ago now, I we had an episode of the podcast where we talked with. Uh, Mel Hartley, about the church and how I feel like the millennial generation and younger generations are leaving this big church idea and they long for something more intimate and something closer. And missional community is something that can answer that. And either they can find a missional community or the quote-unquote big church can start putting into shape and start discipling their people to live missionally. And I That's what I want to be about. That's what I want to do. And so that's what I'm trying to do. And I'm trying to put that into practice in my own life. And it's so easy to make excuses. And you can speak to this, I'm sure. Like, I'm a father of two with a third on the way, all six or under. Um, I have a job. We have a growing church. And my wife is going to go back to full-time teaching this year. And like it can just be crazy. And there's so many reasons not to engage with our neighbors, with the people that God has placed us together with. But what more important work can we do than to share the hope of Jesus Christ with the lost world?